Daily Gator Daily Thought. We're going to look at uh, several things. You realize how close a meteor came to Earth? You might be a little worried if you find out how close we were to, you know, some type of uh, cataclysmic event. The all-time best or ultimate all-around song has been named by uh, some science geeks, apparently. And I'm going to go off on this one because hell no. You'll find out about that. We'll look at uh, the prosecutor in the Rittenhouse case. Uh, as we wait for a verdict in that, we've got the idiot DA who actually got an AR-15, was pointing it at the room at, at all around the people all around in the courtroom. I had his finger on the trigger. Do these leftists know anything about gun safety? We've got some electoral trends that uh, really must be agitating the Democrats. A majority of a minority population voted in the Virginia election for Republicans. We'll look at who this is and what the numbers are. And, oh, there must be some serious sweating going on at the DNC. Scientists, or I guess archaeologists, have found what may be the longest dinosaur that ever lived. That's fascinating. We'll talk about that a little bit. And we'll talk about uh, the, the uh, relationship, if you will, between China and the United States and Taiwan, how all that ties together. And if Biden's really tough enough to talk to China like we should be talking to China, uh, we need Trump right now. This one, my friends, and Merrick Garland. There's some uh, some whistleblower activity. There's some damning evidence uh, that uh, under oath, Merrick Garland lied about targeting parents who voiced their opinions too vociferously at uh, school board meetings. All that and more, my friends. It's time to kick this pig on the Daily Gator Daily Thought with me, Doug Hagan, starting right about eh, now. All right, kids, let's start with uh, the bullet that Mother Earth dodged and people in states like Georgia and Alabama dodged uh, last Tuesday evening. According to RealClearScience.com, sky watchers in Georgia and Alabama were treated to a glorious light show this Tuesday when a rare earth-grazing meteor zoomed across the night sky. Now, what do they mean? Earth grazer. I mean, we talk about a meteor coming close to Earth and it's thousands and thousands of miles away. This one was closer than thousands and thousands of miles. The bright fireball became visible at 6.39 p.m. Eastern Time on November the 9th. It was so bright that some sky watchers were still able to see it through partially overcast skies as NASA Meteor Watch explained on its Facebook page. And it came to be very clear here. Uh, I believe not thousands of miles. It was within 186 miles of these states, three states, Georgia, uh, Alabama. And I'm trying to figure uh, top two ranked teams in the country, by the way. Both SEC teams, they're going to play in the SEC championship. 
I don't think Alabama can beat Georgia this year. There's only one thing can beat Georgia, and that's their coach, Kirby, not so smart, because he is a great defensive coach. He's nowhere near what uh, the best coach in all the sports right now is either Belichick uh, or uh, the guy from Duke who's still coaching, Coach K, or it's uh, it's uh, uh, Nick Saban of uh, Alabama. We'll see if coaching matters or not, because I think Georgia's overall a better team. But anyway, think about that. The object first appeared above Taylorsville, Georgia, moving at 38,500 miles per hour at an altitude of 55 miles above the Earth. The meteor hunters were able to calculate the object's trajectory and orbit thanks to three NASA meteor cameras in the region, uh, but some extra number, cr number crunching was required due to the surprising length of its journey through Earth's atmosphere. Uh, the fireball seen over Georgia and Alabama was what we call an earth grazer, in which the media's trajectory is so shallow, it just skims across the upper atmosphere for a long time. That's according to NASA Meteor Watch. They watch meteors there. I guess that's all they do. On rare occasions, earth grazers will even bounce off the atmosphere and venture back into space. That did not happen as the meteor eventually disintegrated eventually and uh tennessee was the third state it was first seen uh a <coughs> little bit northwest of uh, atlanta and then across the uh, top portion of alabama went close to huntsville close to florence and uh looks like it was savannah tennessee kind of close to lynchburg too where they make jack daniels and it uh ended there went out of sight there so just some science for you. And, of course, 186 miles is extremely close because we usually don't think about it that close to Earth. Uh, but no one was in real danger. So let's try to be overly dramatic there. Now let's talk about the idiot. I'm sorry, the district attorney in the Rittenhouse case, the prosecuting attorney, Thomas Binger. What a perfect last name for this clown, Binger, who doesn't understand self-defense, doesn't understand that video games are fake, doesn't understand that fire is dangerous. Uh, if you watch the trial, you, you would know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to get into it right now, but he's not the brightest bulb in the box, so to speak. He's not the sharpest knife in the door, okay? Not the biggest fish in the pond, however you want to put it. He got out at the AR-15 to illustrate how dangerous and evil Cal Rittenhouse supposedly is. And then he proceeded to point the weapon, which wasn't loaded, okay? It did not have a magazine, and it was not loaded because some automatic weapons can be loaded and hot and still not have a magazine in it if there's one in the chamber. But he, he was going around with it and, and basically pointing the muzzle, the barrel, at everyone in the room with his finger on the trigger. And that's just not something you do. It's a violation of one of the four rules of gun safety that every gun owner knows. And if you don't know them, you're not a real gun owner. If you don't know them, you shouldn't be handling firearms. And that includes this clown. 
Because even though you know it, so even if he just checked this weapon and could say there has absolutely nothing in there, it doesn't matter. You don't do what he did. He is a lead attorney in the uh, prosecution against Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, during closing arguments Monday, aimed an AR-15 at people in the courtroom with his finger on the trigger. Now, this prosecution team, they're kind of like the bad news bears of attorneys, but they've been arguing how evil and dangerous the AR-15 is. It's a super weapon. We'll all die. Yet you just wave one around like that. How dangerous could it really be? Again, it's hyperbole from the prosecution and, well, as Shane B. Murphy on Twitter said, look at this goofball with his finger on the trigger pointed at a courtroom full of people. And you see some people in the audience, you can see their faces, and they're kind of looking like, what in the hell is this idiot doing? Uh, can, I, can we get an NRA person in here to teach this kid, this moron, a lesson? Uh, Binger told jurors that that is what provokes this entire incident. What, you not knowing the rules of, of gun safety? Douchebag, that's what that's what did it? Uh, Binger told jurors at some point during his gun-waving close, when the defendant provokes this incident, apparently just having a gun is provoking. This is a clown who said, if you bring a gun into the situation, you for, you're for go your right to self-defense, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, among the stupidest anyway. I mean, that would mean that anybody who conceals carries, concealed carries, or carries openly, or carries in a constitutional carry fashion, that means that if they have to pull their gun to defend themselves, they don't have a right to self-defense because they have a gun with them. It's idiotic and completely false. But again, this is a guy who doesn't doesn't deal in truth he's trying to win a case and and that's all that matters to him maybe he figures if he wins his case he'll get a guest spot on msnbs or cnn or something and he can uh, pretend he's really woke and maybe he can run for political office who knows and maybe if he gets elected something when he's sworn in he can have an ar-15 and pointed at everybody in the crowd who's watching him inaugurated to, uh, or taking the oath of office who knows what the defendant provokes this incident, he loses a right to self-defense. How did he provoke anything? He was carrying a firearm. His finger wasn't on the trigger. And he's not pointing at anybody. There were several people there with firearms, same weapon, same type of weapon. No incidents with them until he ran into the crazy guy, Rosenbaum. Uh, who was actually setting dumpsters on fire. I know the left says that he was a peaceful protester, but that's not exactly peaceful, is it? You cannot claim self-defense against the danger you create. <laughs> this is odd that the city is actually creating a danger while he's preaching against creating danger. <coughs> and it's a... <coughs> Excuse me, it is a piss poor example of good lawyering. As uh, Stephen Green wrote here at Pajamas Media, Stephen Green's a, a great guy, funny guy. He had a response that uh, the DA should have heard. It was no dumbass, foolhardy idiots waving around guns without trigger discipline is how you get innocent people killed on accident. 
It was just a few weeks ago. Let me remind everybody, as Stephen Green does in this piece at, at uh, PJ Media, Alec Baldwin killed a woman doing almost the exact same thing with a weapon he didn't know because he didn't check because he's one of these idiot liberals who criticizes the NRA as unsafe and then takes a gun and acts unsafe with it, which the NRA beginner class would teach him you can't do. But he hates the NRA too much to listen to them, even though they actually know what the hell they're doing and talking about. Uh, and that gun was loaded, and Alec Baldwin killed a woman. I don't say he did it intentionally, but if by some freak accident, this gun wasn't properly checked, and I don't know if the DA personally checked it himself, but to do it at all is wrong, but what if there had been a, a bullet there? And he'd, he'd had his finger on the trigger, pulled a little hard. Maybe he got a little dizzy turning around or whatever. Maybe the odor of his own hair gel overcame him. He almost passed out. But what if he pulled that trigger and killed somebody? And it could have happened. You know, how many stories do you have to hear people? Oh, I was just cleaning the gun. Was it loaded, dumbass? Now, in a semi-automatic, most of them, all of them, as far as I, I know, you have to take the magazine out and you have to have the slide open to take the gun apart, to disassemble it, to clean it. So there's no chance you can accidentally leave a round in. A revolver, I guess, if you're cleaning that, you don't have to, <clears throat> depending on how much you're going to take the revolver apart, what kind of cleaning. But it's just something you just don't do. And this idiot did it. Again... A small review for the DA, Mr. Dinger. Uh, every weapon is loaded. That's how you treat every gun, as if it is loaded. Never aim your weapon at something you don't mean to shoot. Now, if you were in that courtroom, maybe Dinger doesn't like you. Maybe he's, maybe he's working his way up. I don't know. And never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to shoot. It's not... Never put your finger on the trigger until you're ready to pull a stupid publicity stunt that makes you look like an ignorant ass. Because you covered those bases, Dinger. Now, the question I just asked, did he personally inspect that AR-15? We may never know. He may have asked somebody. But again, you never take someone else's word. I had a, a friend of mine, happened years ago, and he wanted to show me his new pistol. Well, went to his house, uh, had a new pistol, had in the case, took the, opened the case, got the pistol out, takes out the magazine, lays the magazine on the bed, and he goes, here, it's unloaded. I said, is it? He goes, yeah, it's unloaded. I just watched me. I took the magazine out. So I took the pistol, and I immediately pointed down toward the bed where it would shoot nothing but the mattress, and... I uh, racked the slide, and guess what came out of this unloaded 9mm pistol? A 9mm bullet. Federal, I think it was. But you see this unloaded gun that he checked himself, that he unloaded himself, was loaded. And I told him, I said, look, dude, you might want not want to not have this. I can keep it till you learn how to handle it. And I was not nice about it because he didn't deserve niceties at that point. I said, you want me to take this firearm and keep it until you know how the hell to handle it and how to unload a weapon? And he was very embarrassed. I oh, mean, I'm sorry. I said, look, sorry wouldn't cut it if you'd accidentally shot me or yourself. 
would it? And he actually said, he promised, won't touch the, the gun until he goes takes a safety course at his local gun range. And I said, okay, you should do that. And again, that was how simple it is for one mistake can cost somebody their life. Apparently, this district attorney is not, uh, well, he's too woke to be awake, I guess. <clears throat> now let's talk about not just a dinosaur. Not just a fill-in-the-blank here, Saurus, but a Super Saurus. It might be the longest dinosaur that ever lived. This is from Laura Gagai, I believe is how you or, or Gagel, I'm not sure. Uh, but this is from uh, LiveScience.com, because Live Science is so much better than Dead Science. The gold medal... <clears throat> She writes, for the longest dinosaur in the world might go to the aptly named Supersaurus. Now that scientists have fixed uh, a fossil mix-up and analyzed the new bones excavated from the long-necked dinosaur's final resting spots. <coughs> like other exceedingly long dinosaurs, Supersaurus is, uh, is a diplo uh, diplodocid, a long-necked sauropod whose whip-like tail went on for days. Supersaurus has always been viewed as one of the longest dinosaurs, but research now shows that this is the longest dinosaur based on a decent skeleton. More than an indecent, I guess. I don't know. As other dinosaur remains are fragmentary, and it's challenging to accurately estimate their links. Uh, Brian Curtis, or Curtis uh, a paleontologist at the Arizona Museum of Natural History, who is spearheading the research told live science when Supersource was alive about 150 million years ago uh, during the Jurassic period, it exceeded 128 feet in length and possibly even reached 137 feet uh, from, uh, from snout to trail for your Europeans who don't know how to measure things properly. That's uh, between 39 and 42 meters. So there you go. Now you know how long it is. Well, there you go. 128 feet, at least. That's amazing. And that was one big damn dinosaur, a plant eater. This was a uh, not a uh, T-Rex or anything like that. And there's an image of what it may have looked like. And man, you think giraffes have long necks? Not even close. I mean, you're talking about a, a beast that if you get a huge, massive, fully grown blue whale, might not be as long as this thing from uh, from point of the nose to the tail of the tail, the end of the tail. So there's your more science. You've got meteors and dinosaurs. I'm an educator, people, because I care. I do it for y'all. Let's talk about Taiwan, the... Uh, Xi, the leader of China. Thanks for that virus, by the way, China. And let's talk about uh, the relationship that our, well, mentally deficient president has with them. And this, again, is from PJ Media. Robert Spencer writing this. He writes, if you're looking for more indication that old Joe Biden that's kind of redundant, isn't it, Robert? Is unfit to be president of the United States. You, you never have to look very long. 
On Monday, Biden had a virtual meeting with the president of the People's Republic of China. The People's Republic. In other words, the people have no damn rights and they have no control over the republic because it's communist. Uh, Xi Jinping, although the tete-a-tete was reported as lasting nearly four hours, the White House issued only a skimpy six-paragraph readout of what was discussed because Americans don't have a right to know. Given the fact that even the White House itself often depicts Biden as barely coherent because some things are so ugly you can't cover them up, it's easy to see why a transcript of this marathon meeting was not offered. Another reason becomes clear even from the White House's terse readout that G spanked the weak and feckless pseudo-president and got him back in the line. Oh, if Trump was president, this meeting would have gone much differently. Of course, even though it is brief, the readout is la- is larded with a great deal of the usual boilerplate. The two leaders, since they both evidently playing for the same socialist team, shouldn't that be the two great leaders? We're told discuss the complex nature of relations between our two countries and the importance of managing competition responsibly. I love it when communist nations talk about responsibly, meaning do what we want or else. Uh, Hey, that's terrific, Spencer writes, but really, can you imagine old Joe holding a credible discussion on the complex nature of anything? I mean, let's face it. Task task him with uh, picking a flavor of ice cream. You could be there for days. Who knows? Imagine if the transcript were released. Look, Pooh. Here's the deal. <clears throat> but actually, uh, Biden would not have dared say, here's the deal to G, because it was clear from the readout that the Chinese communist leader, not the ostensible president, was calling the shots. On Taiwan, it noted blandly, President Biden underscored that the United States remains committed to the, quote, one China policy, <clears throat> That's the one where China claims that Taiwan, which is a free and independent uh, nation, who respects freedom and liberty, is actually theirs and they can come control it anytime they want. Because, again, they're communists. Uh, that the U.S. remains committed to the one China policy guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, <clears throat> the three joint communiques, and the six assurances and that the United States strongly opposes unilateral efforts to change the status quo or undermine peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Well, if there's peace there or not, it, it should. And if I was a president, I'd make sure that Xi understood this. The idea of peace or not is yours. You keep your hands off Taiwan. We will not allow that to occur. I don't care if you like it. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you want to poop in your Cheerios when you hear the news. But you are not getting your hands on Taiwan. It's a free and independent nation. And yes, Xi, you will be opposed with whatever it takes to prevent such an action. And I would then list our allies who are on board with it and say, don't make me do it. Trump might say something equally bold and the media, of course, would go into vapor. Oh, my God, he's going to start World War Three! Oh, my God. If I had a dime for every time the left said the words, he's going to start World War III, 
Uh, and usually it's always directed at a, a Republican president, always. Uh, never when Carter or uh, Clinton or Obama or now that uh, President Pickles is, is president. Never would any of them be accused of starting World War III by being tough. No, it's when Reagan or one of the Bushes or uh, Ford, Nixon, anybody with a Republican name, or Trump especially, actually stood up for what we believe. Now, that statement was necessary to sort out what Biden said uh, during a CNN town hall on the 21st of last month, which was October, for you Florida State fans, when he was asked whether the United States would defend Taiwan if it were attacked by the, quote, People's Republic. Yes, said the whole puppet precipitously. We have a commitment to do that. Well, actually, the situation is more complicated. As Reuters noted at the time, Washington is required by law to provide Taiwan with the means to defend itself. And it has long followed a policy, a policy excuse me, of strategic ambiguity on whether it would intervene militarily to protect Taiwan in the event of a Chinese attack. So again, China is uh, running the show. Biden's not going to stand up to him. He's not going to be tough. He's not even going to be firm. He's not even going to be slightly resolute. And you have to think it's because basically, as far as when I got first an interest in politics, Carter was running against Ford after, uh, you know, Nixon, who wasn't a crook, please, uh, left office and, and Ford took over, took office. And it's always been the Democrats. And it's much worse now than it was in the mid-70s when I first became you know, politically aware, I guess. It's always been the Republicans more pro-military, more pro-defending democracy, defending free countries, using our military if necessary, using the threat of using our military when, when necessary, than Democrats. And it's always been the Democrats who have been the panic mongers predicting World War III and cataclysmic defeat for our military and blah, 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 blah. So this is no surprise that Biden, who is obviously a Democrat, uh, it's, it's no surprise that he'd be weak and show a weak face to China. In fact, Joe Biden apparently can do nothing but be weak and take no blame or credit for anything. You know, he has nothing to do with the rising gas prices. Well, you keep closing down oil facilities. And what do you do? You took us from energy independence to a situation where you're begging OPEC to give us more oil? Talk about failed leadership. And it's no different with Taiwan and, uh, and China. Taiwan has to be defended. You know, that's a, a great nation. That's a free and independent nation. Those people on that island of Taiwan have every damn right to be free and independent and self-governing. And if I were president or anybody with a set of testicles and a solid brain would uh, would tell China in no uncertain terms, not in a threatening manner, not in a bang your hand on the desk kind of thing, but say, look, it's not going to happen. So let's move on to something else, like you stopping stealing of our intellectual property or, uh, you know, stop being a bully. Why don't you stop having concentration camps and quit lecturing the rest of the world or anybody on human rights as long as you violate them? 
And if you want to continue a relationship with us that's positive, you're going to have to do some changing, China. That's just the way it is because the United States said so. Again, firmly uh, with no backward sliding on it. And again, not in a, a threatening way or anything like that. <clears throat> now, we'll get to the what scientists are saying it is the ultimate all-around song. We'll get to that abomination uh, from NPR at the end. That'll be my wrap-up story. But if we got two more, I'm going to take a little break, get some... Uh, Get something to drink, lube the pipes, and we're going to get to two more stories. The recent electoral trend that really has the Democrats shaking in their boots, shaking like a leaf on a tree, that kind of thing. And we're going to get to Merrick Garland, that lying little weasel who lied to Congress because, well, he's a leftist. So let me take a small break. I'll be right back. You won't even miss me through the magic of this thing called Anchor by Spotify. And you know you can go to Anchor right now, go to my page, and you can actually become a contributor to this show. You can actually become a financial contributor and a subscriber. And you know what I'm going to give you for doing that? No, not some ugly sweater, not some stupid t-shirt, nothing like that. I'm going to give you something better, my friends. My promise to always try to entertain you. I mean, come on. If you'll pay the my pillow guy 80 bucks for a pillow, and you're just giving me a little cash and trusting me with uh, my ability to entertain you, come on. Move over, my pillow guy. I don't know if I'd pay 80 bucks for a pillow, I got to say. That's a lot of cash. But maybe if I get more contributions, I could actually try a my pillow pillow for eighty bucks, which now costs twenty because he's apparently, I mean, economic downturn. Everything. Maybe I'm most people that want a my pillow already have a my pillow. I don't know. But anyway, I heard they're great stuff. So check out his products, please. Even though he's somewhat creepy to me for some reason, I haven't figured it out yet. But I will be back, my friends. Let me go uh, lube the pipes. I shall return, as MacArthur did, but I won't have a pipe in my mouth. Talk to you in just a minute, and you won't even miss me. I'm that fast. And just like that, I'm back. Now, let's get into uh, what is frightening for Democrats. Uh, AmericanMind.org has this piece out, and uh, written by Soledad Orsua, I believe is how you pronounce the young lady's name. Pretty name, Soledad. I like that. And she's much nicer than Soledad O'Brien, who's a a snotty, angry, acting, pretend victim leftist who uh, still is in the media somewhere from some left-wing site, I believe she works at. Uh, and she's just such a, such a negative person. But anyway, enough about Soledad O'Brien. The Democratic Party has historically taken Latinos for granted, just like they've taken blacks for granted. Something that we just witnessed play out in several elections across the country, driven by two <clears throat> main issues, public safety and education. 
Latinos are emerging as a significant voting bloc capable of flipping blue seats red and realigning either party in regard to platform and policy. <clears throat> in Virginia, Republican Glenn Youngkin defeated uh, Clintonista Democrat uh, Terry McCullough for governor. Youngkin ran on school choice and issued dear to Latinos who understand that education is the key to prosperity and the middle class. A survey by AP VoteCast showed that black voters supported McAuliffe by nearly an 8-to-1 margin, mainly because the Democrats constantly race bait, and they throw the term white supremacy around uh, every five seconds. It's, it's truly sickening, frankly. Latino voters, on the other hand, appear to have favored Yunkin. Youngkin received of the Hispanic vote in the state of Virginia, 55%. That's just a clear majority over what uh, McAuliffe got. Uh, 43% supported McAuliffe. So Latinos in this most recent election, by 12 points, favored the conservative Republican over the liberal Democrat. And again, education was key. Public safety was key. So this shows that uh, Democrats could be in a massive trouble. We've always heard that Latinos vote uh, for Democrats. You know why so many Republicans win the state of Florida? The Hispanic votes. There are a lot of uh, Hispanics in Florida. I was born and raised and lived my first 30 years there. But in the state of Florida, there are many, 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 many Cubans especially around Miami and Tampa. And that's where I get my love of Cuban food. If you never had a deviled crab or a, a, a Cuban sandwich or a stuffed potato, man, you're missing out on life, my friends. Uh, but they've seen communism, the Cuban people have. So this is why they clearly reject the Democrats. And that's why Republicans win. I was having a debate with somebody couple years ago when they were going on about all the Latinos and, and I said, look, you have to differentiate. I said, if you really want to know the truth, the person was a big Trump supporter. And I said, do you think Trump would have won Florida in 2016 or any Republican would ever win the White House uh, without Cuban votes in Florida? You're crazy. And they, they started looking into it and thinking about it. And they said, you know, you're right. Sometimes just talking to people rationally can turn their head around. But back to the story. Again, a 12-point margin, uh, Yunkin over McAuliffe. If Latinos had voted that same part of the same pattern as other minority voters, it would have guaranteed a Democratic victory. They didn't, which does not pretend well for the future of the Democratic Party since President Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 percentage points a year earlier. So did Latinos leave the Democratic Party or did the Democratic Party leave them? The Democrats have lurched leftward towards socialism, embracing values that vilify private property and individual rights. During Barack Obama's 08 and uh, 12 elections and Hillary Clinton's 16, 2016 presidential campaign, Latinos were solidly Democratic voters, only second to African-Americans in their percentage of, of loyalty. However, 
the Barack Obama that ran in 2008 and captured the hearts of Americans would be considered a right-wing Republican by today's standards. The Democratic Party and Latinos have changed over the past decade and now seem irreconcilable. This is especially worrisome to Democrats since Latinos are the largest of the fast-growing demographic groups in the nation, growing by 23% from 2010 to 2020. Latinos now account for 62.1 million or 18%, 18 18.7% of the U.S. population. So you can see where this is leading, if this continues. I mean, it's gotten to the point where maybe the Democrats should uh, rethink their policy of just opening the borders and getting as many illegal aliens as they can, because when they actually can vote, they uh, they may actually listen to Republicans and say, I like those people better than I like these other people. I don't like the condescending Democratic Party that views this as nothing more but but uh, blindly allegiant voters. Uh, you never know. It can happen. We'll see. But it's good to see the Democrats worried. That's always fun when they're squirming and sweaty and things like that. And now let's go to Twitchy twitchy.com it's a website that kind of watches twitter and follows things on twitter and political topics and, and other other topics as well but this headline should make you think remember recently merrick garland went before the senate you may or may not have watched i watched part of it <clears throat> and he was called to the carpet by republicans whether or not he was going to go after parents because the teachers union had contacted the justice department and asked them <clears throat> Basically to intimidate, they didn't use that word, but basically intimidate and investigate parents who were getting too out of hand at school board meetings over critical race theory, over things like, you know, their teenage daughter getting raped uh, in a bathroom, a transgender bathroom by a boy wearing a dress and because that's his identity. And then the school covering it up and, and shipping this boy to a different school where Imagine that. He did the same thing to another girl at another school. Imagine. Who could have seen that coming, right? So the teachers union being full-blown communists, basically, who don't give a damn about kids, they are heavy in the Democrats, and the Democrats certainly cut out enough tax deals for them. Contacted Merrick Garland, who kind of looks like If Mr. Rogers got addicted to crack, yeah, he'd be Merrick Garland. Uh, Boys and girls, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm Merrick Garland. I need crack. Uh, Merrick Garland must resign, is the headline. House GOP reveals damning new evidence from from a Department of Justice whistleblower calling A.G. Garland's testimony into serious question. Merrick Garland... The piece begins, please pick up your white courtesy phone. And Sarah D posted this on Twitchy to give her the proper credit. Because it might be ringing off the hook right now, she writes. And there's a tweet from Christopher Rufo. He's so good at getting exposing critical race theory and the truth behind it. Well, he has breaking news on Twitter. House Republicans have obtained whistleblower documents showing that the FBI, listen closely, is using its counterterrorism division to investigate and add 
quote, threat tags to parents contradicting Attorney General Garland's sworn testimony. Garland was asked directly, is this going on? Are you doing this? No, 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 absolutely not. <clears throat> uh, Rufo's tweet is concluded with a copy uh, of the information and this quote, Merrick Garland must, <clears throat> excuse me, resign. He also writes, this is a smoking gun. Attorney General Garland provided zero evidence that parents are engaging in credible threats or acts of violence. And yet he mobilized the FBI counterterrorism division to use counterterrorism tools. Yes, you heard that right. For investigating, tracking and tagging parents. That sounds uh, rather ominous, don't you think? It doesn't sound good. And he lied about it. He was asked by by House Republicans, is this going on? And he said, oh, no, no, no. Of course not. It's not going on. And if I can blow this up big enough, I may be able to read part of it to you. Come on, you piece of garbage. Do, 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 do. Uh, this is addressed to the Honorable Merrick B. Garland, November 16th of 2021, uh, from page two, and it reads, we have now received, in part it reads, we have now received a disclosure from a department whistleblower calling info, uh, call, excuse me, calling into question the accuracy and completeness of your testimony the whistleblower provided an FBI email dated October the 20th, the day before your testimony, sent on behalf of the FBI's assistant director for the counterterrorism division and assistant director for the criminal division. The email, which is enclosed, referenced your October 4th directive to the FBI to address school board threats and notified FBI personnel about a new, quote, threat tag created by the Counterterrorism and, Clinic and Criminal Division. The email directed FBI personnel to apply this new uh, threat tag to all, all investigations and assessments of threats specifically directed against school board administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. The email articulated the purpose as scoping this threat on a national level and providing an opportunity for comprehensive analysis of the threat picture for effective engagement with law enforcement partners at all levels. This disclosure provides specific evidence that federal law enforcement operationalized counterterrorism tools at the behest of a left-wing special interest group against uh, concerned parents. <clears throat> We know from public reporting that the National School Board Association coordinated with the White House prior to sending a letter dated the 29th of September to President Biden labeling parents as, listen up kids, domestic terrorists and urging the Justice Department to use federal tools, including the Patriot Act, to target parents. Just five days later, on October the 4th, you issued a, a memorandum directing the FBI and other department components to address a purported disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence at school board meetings. 
As a whistleblower disclosure shows, the FBI's counterterrorism division quickly effectuated your uh, directive. The FBI actions were entirely foreseeable and perhaps intended result of your October 4th memorandum. So you got some explaining to do, Merrick Garland, I guess is, is the basic thing here. Uh, Rufo has another tweet. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter and see these tweets for yourself, real at real uh, Chris Rufo, uh, C-H-R-I-S-R-U-F-O, at real Chris Rufo, and you can see them for yourself. There's another one that says, this is a smoking gun. Attorney General Garland provided zero evidence that parents are engaging in credible threats or acts of violence, and yet he mobilized the counterterrorism division to use counterterrorism tools for investigating, tracking, and yes, tagging parents. And there's a, uh, basically it's a joint message from Criminal Investigation Division and Counterterrorism, ter- counter-terrorism Division and uh, some names and information is redacted on it. Uh, but again, it basically covers same of the same areas. <clears throat> so you need to look into this, my friends. And if you're a parent uh, and you're concerned about schools and safety and masking, not masking, COVID shots, et cetera, et cetera, critical race theory, tons of issues. I know the left lies every day and says critical race theory isn't being taught. These things aren't happening. But then you keep seeing evidence that it is being taught, that these things are happening. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't trust Merrick Garland any further than I can throw the house I'm in right now. Just to let you know. Because I think he's uh, about as left as they come, frankly. And now that you're aware of that and the world's longest dinosaur and the uh, almost said the glacier that almost hit us from outer space. That would be remarkable if that happened. But the meteor that almost killed us all in, uh, and climate change would have been blamed, of course. But NPR is reporting something, something extremely disturbing. Every breath you take is the ultimate all-around song According to science. Now that is a song from the police. Uh, let me just point out. I don't really consider the police a rock song. A rock band. You hear them a lot on classic rock. Uh, let me point out that there's. A, two or three of the songs I like. Otherwise in my personal opinion. The police suck. Uh, and I've never understood why they were so popular. But this song in particular. Every breath you take. The greatest all-around song. What does all-around song mean? Does that mean it covers all the genres, blues, rock, southern rock, classic rock, modern rock, heavy metal, death metal, rap, uh, gangster rap, uh, Christian music, jazz, whatever, and just all around that would be the greatest song ever? Really? That's not even the best song the police did of the very few good ones they did. Again, that's just personal opinion. I just don't like the police. I like the police. They do a great job, but the band, the police, no, no, and uh, no. Uh, The song was a sensation when it was released in 1983. 
uh, and I hated it then, by the way, too. Topping the Billboard Hot Top 100 chart for eight weeks. Eight weeks. That's that's an abomination. And today it plays on the soundtrack to parties. Yeah, no song makes me want to party rather than that one. Good Lord. Weddings or trips to the grocery store. You know, I just can't go grocery shopping. I can't go Krogering or food lining or Walmarting or whatever unless I've got that song stuck in my head. Give me a break. Terrible song. Its popularity is a little surprising, though, because it's not a particularly flashy song. Its arrangement is flat and monochromatic with a snaking guitar line, placid drums, and Sting's faint and reverbery vocals. The drummer on the recording, Stuart Copeland, was even said to be frustrated with having to rein in his playing for the song's simple arrangement. Even the people playing it thought it sucked. So why has it lived on? Some new research might explain it. I would uh, sum it up in one thing. Complete lack of taste in many people today. In a study published this week by the Royal Society, I don't know, I think it should be pronounced that way, by the way. I'm sure if you go there or try to contact them, you'll get a, you'll, you'll be greeted by somebody. Welcome to the Royal Society. Uh, the researchers from the Royal Society at Aarhus University in Denmark uh, analyzed streaming data for nearly 4 million songs on Spotify. Spotify, which has something called Anchor. Yeah. I record my podcast on Anchor. There's another plug. Give me some more money. Uh, to see if there was a pattern to the types of music we listen to over a 24-hour period. And they found some things. Shocking. We found that we could categorize it into five distinct time blocks throughout the day, said lead researcher Ole Adrian Hegley. Uh, those five time blocks were morning, afternoon, evening, night, and late night slash early morning. Boy, they really had to come up and really think their way into those five times, couldn't they? I mean, no other human beings ever categorized those time slots. And what researchers found was each block had different musical qualities. In the morning block, slow but energetic songs dominated. Uh, Hegley suggested Supreme by Robbie Williams. I'm trying to think Robbie Williams. No, nah, never heard of her or him or whatever. Louder, faster songs ruled uh, in the afternoon. Think Only Girl in the World by Rihanna. Rihanna, hot, good to look at, uh, don't get into her music at all, so I've never heard that one either. If you go to the npr.org website here, uh, you can actually see all the videos for these. Danceable music ruled in the evening, you get the idea. It's not that surprising if you think about it. The researchers say it shows how our musical preferences are shaped by our daily rhythms. No, not true. Not for me anyway. Maybe I'm just unique and different. If you want to get really technical, the research article is about something called diurnal fluctuations. You peons will not understand our science. 
and how the rhythm of human life is given by diurnal cycles. Diurnal, of course, means, uh, well, forget it. If an animal is uh, diurnal, it means they're active in the daytime. If, you know, that means they're not a, like an owl or some other animal that is nocturnal. Uh, if you want to really get technical, now I already get that, sorry. So what is a song with musical qualities that would allow it to drift through all five time blocks? You guessed it, kids. Every breath you take by the police. Who suck? Have I pointed that out yet? It's a very middle, in the middle type of song, Hagley says. It's a medium tempo. It's a bit groovy, but not too much groovy. It doesn't have any loud surprises. And it's all over just a very pleasant, perhaps even a bit bland song. A bit bland? Think mashed potatoes with no salt, no seasoning, no butter, no sour cream, no chives, no anything, just potatoes. Cold mashed potatoes with no seasoning. You didn't get an idea of bland, how bland this song is. Hegley thinks this research might say something about how musicians can maximize their streaming potential. You should really aim for something that's more or less in the middle of the pack, something that's not too high in tempo, but also not too low, and something that's danceable, but maybe not too danceable either. This is science, my friend. The science of boring non-information. They went and, and did their little research and found the song that is the most streamed or whatever, and now they're trying to tell you, explain it to you peons. I don't know why this song would be number one on anything except, well, it couldn't be the sorriest song ever. There is the Pina Colada song, after all, and that was such an abomination. I can't even begin to describe the abomination level it reached. What would be the worst song ever? Well, you have everything Madonna ever did except for uh, this used to be my playground. That's a, that's a great song. Uh, and you think of everything that, uh, well, most rap songs to me, no, have most have good beats uh, at some level, but, uh, the lyrics typically are anti-woman pro-violence, pro-thuggery, and they suck and they glorify living in the hood and breaking laws. But, and again, there's the music of, uh, Cardi B and all the rest, don't even get me started on that garbage. Uh, I don't know why that song would be number one. But basically the argument they're making is that it's just kind of there. It's just kind of, well, it's not too this. not It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's not too long. It's not too short. It's kind of melodic, but not too melodic. It's kind of rock, but it's not really rock. It's kind of pop, but it's not really pop. It kind of sucks. And that's it. That's all I have to say. And science be damned, my friends. There's nothing good about that damn song, Every Breath You Take. Uh, and I forget the rest of the words. It's just, uh, it's just a song I've never liked. But poor me. And that's it for me, my friends. Yeah, politics. You've got law. you got a court case. you got information on boring-ass songs that was pretty damn boring. Uh, you got all kind of stuff. Meteors that almost killed us all. Dinosaurs that were long as a part of a football field. 
And you got all that stuff for free because I love you all. And I mean that. And I don't mean I mean it like a televangelist means it because I have better hair than televangelists. And why do televangelists have that hair? And so many of the women, good Lord, it's like the Avon lady blew up in their face. You don't look credible. You really don't. You remind me of a used car salesman. Uh, and again, I'm not just mocking televangelists, but if I was, that'd be a pretty easy target. So thank you, my friends. God bless you all for listening. Uh, I hope any anytime you have any complaints, compliments, or cash you want to give me, contact me. Go to delegator.com, click on the buy now button on the first post and hit my PayPal page. You can contribute by the month and choose your amount and become a subscriber. If you just go to anchor by Spotify and go to my page and thank you for listening. It's also carried on uh, Google podcast, Apple podcast. I think it is uh, Spotify podcast or several um, podcasting formats you can find this on if you just search uh a doug hagan daily gator daily thought uh doug hagan if you're left you just ain't right you can find it around very easy to find an anchor though uh thank you for all the support my friends i appreciate you whenever you listen morning noon night thank you very much god bless you we'll talk to you tomorrow y'all be good y'all take care of yourselves and uh pray that uh justice is done in the Rittenhouse case. Uh, I'm starting to get worried about what this jury may may be going through with intimidation. Maybe they're worried that uh, their names will get exposed or they'll be doxxed and who knows what will happen to them then. Uh, but take care, my friends. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Be good. Be good to each other. And be good to your dog. He deserves it or she deserves it. Y'all take care care and remember if you're left you just ain't right and never will be god bless america and go gators take care my friends manana